Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Casual, not just a sports report today. I know you can't see me, but I'm actually laying down in bed right now. I've got my laptop on top of me. Hopefully, you can't hear me breathing. I will have to go back and double check, but just feeling a little bit lazy, a little bit casual today. But that does not mean that the podcasting stops. If anything, that just means the podcasting is stronger than ever. But what are we getting into today? We're getting into the NRL Power Hour for round 18, just like we do every week. Except, you may realise, no power the last two weekends. Sorry about that. Um, Yeah, I guess I was feeling more casual in the last couple of weeks. But we are back. It's time to get into it. We are jumping into NRL Power Hour round 18. And if you listen to my weekly preview or any of the podcasts going into this one, You would know that I've split the season into three. We had the first third, then obviously the second third was that origin period. Now we enter the final third. I've named it business time. Business well and truly picking up. And to the credit of most of the sides who are still competing for final spots, pretty much everyone showed up ready for business. Now, there were a couple of exceptions but mostly very business-orientated on the front of the NRL, so that's definitely good. Head-to-head in round 18 as well, 7 out of 8, so only one wrong, that being the Canberra Raiders game. And with Raiders being my second team, like, I will absolutely take that. Getting a fucking huge win at Amy Park, not an easy place to win. Raiders with a very favourable record of their there as of late english failing me two minute two and a half minutes in english deteriorating already unfortunately now if you enjoy my lack of english follow us on instagram at not just a sports report and of course follow us on whatever podcast platform you are listening on you'll be able to see tomorrow as soon as the nrl round 19 preview drops but let's not get to round 19 too quickly first of all Let's jump in to Power Round 18 with our opening game where the Sharks edged out the Cowboys in Townsville. Major top four implications as well. Sharks were sitting fourth, Cowboys second. A massive win for the Cronulla side and just a huge result. Pretty impressed by the Cowboys as well given they had all their origin players out. But in the end, it was the Cronulla Sharks getting the win. 26 points to 12. The Sharks were the ones who opened the proceedings with Jesse Ramian scoring the first try and the second. So Ramian, an absolute force, did have a lean year. I think it was just one year at the Newcastle Knights. Came back to the Sharks and he's just been getting better and better. And now under Craig Fitzgibbon, I think we're seeing the best of Jesse Ramian. Shout out to Jesse as well. I put 10 bucks on him for the first try. So, made 130 bucks. Shout out to Jesse Ramian, my man. First two tries to Ramian, and from there, the Sharks, like, it was close at certain points, most definitely. 
I'll get to that in a moment, but in the end, the Sharks found a way. That's what the NRL's all about. Even if it's not necessarily your day, it's about finding a way to win. Sharks have been doing that more often than not this year, and a major reason for that is their coach. Craig Fitzgibbon, he's got the Sharks absolutely roaring, and they're peaking at the right time, which is crucial considering we are just around the corner from finals. Craig Fitzgibbon, with that experience in the Roosters system, he would have plenty of knowledge on how to kind of prep a side to peak at the right time of year, and it looks like he's implementing that at the Cronulla Sharks. For the Cowboys, they were excellent, considering that they had all their origin outs. Super impressed still with the Cowboys. They didn't lose any stock here in my mind, considering, I mean, they had some key position outs. We saw Ben Hampton shifted to 5'8", to replace Dearden, we saw Val Holmes out of the side, we saw Jeremiah Nanai out, who's been a major weapon for them this year. So all in all, I definitely think the Cowboys can be pleased with themselves, and they can dust themselves off and get ready for their next game. These two sides may very well meet again come finals, so that is definitely something to look forward to. I was highly entertained by the game on Friday night, and so if we get another version Featuring the Cowboys at full strength, you will hear absolutely no complaints from me. And given where they sit on the ladder, it does look pretty likely that at some stage in the finals, they may very well meet. For the Sharks, that is back-to-back -back wins over top four opposition and five consecutive victories overall. I talked a couple of weeks ago about how this period was going to be season-defining for the Sharks. They've got the Panthers next as well. They've gone Melbourne Storm into the Cowboys, second and third on the ladder respectively, and they've beaten them both. So that is a really, really quality sign. Obviously Penrith, they are head and shoulders above the rest of the competition, but that makes this next come, upcoming game very, very exciting. And you couldn't ask for much more from the Sharks. Five straight wins and back-to-back -back wins over the Storm and the Cowboys, like that is no laughing matter. That tells me that Cronulla are absolutely primed for the upcoming final series, and I'm, I'm really keen to see how they go. There was obviously the obstruction drama. Jason Talmalolo had a disallowed try when the scores were 14-12 to 12 in favour of the Sharks, so that would have actually put the Cowboys ahead. That try was disallowed. There was the Reese Robson? Fucking hell. Reese Robson obstruction. And, like, uh, it's one of those ones where it's like, yeah, I think it's fair. It is the rules, or they are the rules. So it's a classic case of just being dicked by the rules, basically. Like, if that happened in the 90s, that is an absolute try every day of the week. If you take away the video technology, that is absolutely a try every day of the week. But that's not how the NRL operates. We love a bunker in the NRL not afraid to send anything up to the bunker to have a look at. And on this occasion, the bunker poo-pooed it. So, unfortunate for the Cowboys, although a similar thing did happen to the Sharks a few weeks ago against the Titans. So, yeah, it's NRL officiating. I guess it just gets shared around. Everyone gets their dud calls. Although that one, not really a dud call. I do think it was the right one. But is it a case of technology going too far? Answer me that. Now, all that matters, though, is the two competition points. And after that obstruction drama, 
Teague Wilton scored in the very next set, so the Sharks, they didn't waste any time to get back to it. Cowboys maybe just lingering on that decision for a moment too long, and with that, the Cronulla Sharks earned themselves a very valuable two competition points. They entrenched themselves in that top four, with wins over the two sides ahead of them as well. Cronulla Sharks definitely getting their shit together and at the perfect stage of the season. Key statistics in this one. Jesse Ramian got the most tries, two tries, two line breaks as well, and 10 tackle busts. Out on that right side, Jesse Ramian really starting to come into his own. I know the wingers definitely get a lot of credit, and deservedly so. Same as the other centre, whether that be Talakai, or at times Connor Tracy. But Jesse Ramian, he is an unheralded star. I've been loving what I've been seeing from Jesse. I believe, is that five tries in the last couple of weeks? I believe he scored a hat-trick before this one. As I said, I didn't do NRL power last weekend. Memory a little bit hazy. I may or may not have got absolutely shit-faced. So yeah, it's, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure Jesse Ramian has five tries in two games. So I think it's time to start talking a little bit more about Jesse Ramian and how damn good he's playing. Definitely a note here in this game. For the tackle count, Reese Robson tap, tapped? Help. Fucking help. 42 tackles for Reese Robson. That was what I was trying to say. Did have a couple of misses, but in the middle he was that defensive glue that kept the Cowboys together. Petter Hiku ran for 237 metres. He's been a fantastic signing. Came over from my club, the Warriors. I was honestly sad to lose him. I was sad to lose him both times. Uh, I watched him in the Warriors under 20s. Always loved the way he played the game. He never actually debuted for the Warriors. He left us out of the under 20s system. And I always wanted him back at the Warriors. He did come back to the Warriors. Awesome player. And Todd Payton, who coached him at the Warriors, identified that the Cowboys badly needed a strike center. Let's not forget, at this stage, Valentine Holmes had not been shifted into the centers, or he had it like the very back end of last year. And they were in desperate need of a strike center, someone who can break the game wide open. And I think Petahiku has been such a fantastic signing. I mean, obviously there are other game-breaking centers probably a bit ahead of him. I'm thinking Katoni Staggs, first one comes off the top of my head. But like, let's be realistic, they're not going to get Katoni Staggs. And if they do, they're going to have to fork out an absolute shit ton for him. So it's a perfect signing for the Cowboys. Petahiku, I can't imagine he'd be breaking the bank, and he's been killing it all year. There was an area where they definitely needed improvement, and it's just an absolutely sound signing from the Cowboys. Hiku topping the meter count with 237. Luciano Leilua was someone who also impressed me. He did make two errors, but I thought he was excellent in his first start at the Cowboys. Had a hand in their first try, and he just ran all night. Didn't get over 100 metres, but it's his first start for the Cowboys. Let's not forget he has been at the Tigers, so that in itself, I mean, it's going to take a bit of time to kind of adjust to a team that's winning. But for Luciano Leilua, I thought he showed great signs. And going forward for the Cowboys, Leilua and Nanai is an absolutely devastating back row pairing. Checking out some of the stats that... Not not as good. Chad Townsend, six missed tackles. 
I still thought he was really good. I'm I'm not going to say too much about that. But the most missed tackles in the game belonged to the Chad. As for the most errors, Scott Drinkwater, three handling errors. That definitely didn't help his side, but Drinkwater has been having a sensational year. If it wasn't last weekend, it was the weekend before that he was my X-Factor player of the round. So a couple of errors and missed tackles there to report on. But definitely, look, those players... Scott Drinkwater and Chad Townsend, they are having fucking unreal seasons, so we shan't dwell on that. As for my reserve grade performer, I'm bringing this one back this week, don't do it all the time, but I thought, after a little while, let's check back in at reserve grade level and see who is pressing their case for a pot for a fucking English lesson. If anyone's selling English lessons, hit me up for a spot in the NRL first grade setup. For the Sharks, my reserve grade performer of the week, Kyle Iroh, a young centre who scored two tries, ran for 212 metres. He's a Cook Islands representative, was a Warriors junior as well, one of the many that we seem to lose. He's been around for a hot minute as well. I don't know, unless he came into the under-20s when he was like 13. I feel like he's been around for a while, even though he is still very young. So Kyle Iroh... He's been playing out of his skin all year in New South Wales Cup level. I don't know if he gets the start. There are guys in front of him at the Sharks, so that does make it interesting. But Kyle Iroh, I do think we're going to see him crack the NRL. Whether that's with the Sharks or another team remains to be seen. But Kyle Iroh, my reserve grade performer for the Cronulla Sharks. As for what is up next, as I mentioned, Sharks playing the Panthers... That is the game of round 19 and the biggest test for Cronulla yet. Make sure to tune in to my round 19 weekly preview. I'll be going in depth and giving the full breakdown of that one. As for the Cowboys, they'll be hosting the Tigers. Luciano Leilua up against his former club. And look, there will be no disrespect this week. You have to imagine the Cowboys going to be playing a full strength lineup. All of their origin stars back. And for the Tigers... Uh, I'll, I'll get to them later. We've still got to get to that Tigers game. But Cowboys hosting the Tigers. Sorry to any Tigers fans for bringing negative vibes in. Not even 15 minutes into the podcast. It's not my goal to be overly negative. So in saying that, let's just let's just go to the next game, shall we? Friday night, Eels breezing past the lowly Warriors. And Tigers fans, don't worry. As a Warriors fan, I know what it's like. We've only made the finals once since 2011. You guys haven't made the finals since 2011. So realistically, there's only been one year in the last decade where, you know, we've kind of been better than you. And even then, we got knocked out first week of finals. So Tigers fans, believe me, I know what it feels like. I'm closer to a Tigers fan than you could think. Anyway, back to the Eels getting past the Warriors. Top four finish, still absolutely a chance for Parramatta after that win. Getting it done... 28-18, to but after a blitz in that second half, it was 28-6 to at one point. Up until the final minutes, five minutes, Warriors scored a couple of tries. Woohoo, awesome. Didn't really mean a lot at that stage, but it was 28-6. to So don't let the scoreline flatter you. Another classic Warriors performance. And for the Eels, hopefully for their fans... This is a move in the right direction to start riding the ship and just get some level of consistency. 
As I spoke about in the weekly preview, it's plagued them all year, their inconsistency, but it doesn't necessarily matter if they can piece it all together in this final third of the season. That was what I was saying in the week. I wanted to see a quality Eels win. No, I didn't, but that's what I said in the preview, that from them, if they are to be serious about making a run this year, they needed to win. So they got that done. Wanga Blake was outstanding. And Isaiah Papali'i, the former warrior, an absolute stud. Another great example of how a player goes when they leave the Warriors system and challenge themselves elsewhere. Also a bit of talk, sorry to go back to the Tigers. Isaiah Papali'i, Tigers backflip? Honestly, I was saying all year, I think the Tigers are bottoming out this year. And next year, I'm like, you know what? I'm excited for them. Api Corusau. Isaiah Papali'i, now Isaiah Papali'i thinking about backflipping. That's a watch this space. I'm just going to, we'll talk about it if it happens. As far as I know, Isaiah Papali'i off to the Tigers next year. And until something else comes out, I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to speculate too much on something that I have no real behind the scenes information of. I did call Isaiah Papali'i. Um, but he didn't, he didn't return my call. So unfortunately not sure what the go is there, but the fact that that's even being talked about, definitely concerning for the West Tigers. For the Parramatta Eels, their time is now. They've had back-end troubles the last couple of years where they've been criticized heavily for starting strong and then kind of just fading out as the season goes on. And I know they've been very inconsistent this year, But I was wondering whether at least part of that, obviously not the losses, but whether part of that has been by design and whether Brad Arthur, maybe he's trying something new. Maybe the goal this year wasn't to kill it at the start of the year and instead to peak at the back end. So I'm definitely interested. Have they righted the ship? Are they going to come out now and start getting their shit together? Has that been the plan? And can Parramatta put it all together at the tail end of the season? We've only got a few more weeks until we truly know, so very, very excited. And the Eels, I do think they may be about to hit their straps. They do sit a little bit outside that top four, so ideally they would have liked to win some early season games there that they lost, especially against teams like the Tigers and the Bulldogs. But in the end, all that matters is whether you're in the finals and then you're in with a shot. So for the Eels, now they've really got to start putting it together. And for the Warriors, my eye is already on 2023, to be honest. It's our year. It's going to be our year. We've got Andrew Webster coming in. And I think we're still going through the scars of the Nathan Brown era. We look like we don't have confidence. We look slow as shit. Like minimal punch. Minimal punch, which is upsetting given some of the players we have and their talents. But I found that all season we've just been so slow You watch teams like the Storm and Panthers play, and the speed of play is incredibly fast. And then I see the Warriors, and it just looks pedestrian, unfortunately. And it's the same shit every year. It's really harsh. I'm actually a massive supporter of the players. Will not stop supporting. But it is the harsh truth. It's the same shit, different year. And this is dating back to, like, 2012. This is a solid 10 years of starting pretty shit or like one or two years we started okay but like not really racing out of the gates 
somewhere in that mid-year we'll do something okay, which this year happened a little bit before the midway point. Then we go through Origin. Sometimes, traditionally, we go all right during Origin. And then comes that final third of the season, and the wheels just fall off. This time, it looks pretty much similar. And this just feels like any other Warriors year. Start with a lot of optimism. And then by about this point, yeah. By about this point, yeah, is about all I can say. Same shit different year. That's that's what I noted down as far as the Warriors. Keeping the faith though. Do not mistake that for me. Not giving up the faith. Even though at times it is like I've been with a girlfriend since fucking the last 20 years. And then it's like, ah, oh, she cheated on me for like the 18th time. But next year she won't. That's, that's basically where we're at with the Warriors, unfortunately. Anyway, let's get to the stats. Wunga Blake topped the try score account. Two tries for Wunga Blake. Really impressed by the way he's been playing toward this back end of the season as well. For the Warriors, Torhu Harris, as always, getting through the dirty work. 44 tackles for the captain, Torhu. Adam Fanua Blake, 196 run meters. That's what's ridiculous. Like, our forwards were going forward. And our backs, they weren't doing anything with it. That's what I'll say. To be honest, I watched bits of the game. I, I knew we were going to lose. I've seen enough rugby league and I've seen enough of the Warriors to know that we were going to lose. So I was kind of just floating around. I think I was having a couple of conversations around the house. Maybe I went and got some food somewhere in there. Um, but yeah, Adam Fanua Blake, 196 run meters. Did the Warriors do anything with that? No. Edward Kosey, two line breaks for Edward. Happy to see that. Had a really awful game last time he played in the NRL. Has been putting it all together at Queensland Cup level. Scoring some tries. Scored a try in this game as well. Good to see Edward Kosey making a couple of adjustments to his game. As for the try assists, Reed Marnie with two try assists. Why Parramatta have let him walk out the door? Fuck knows, but hey, can they get him to backflip? I mean, everyone seems like they want to backflip at the moment. Reed Marnie, though, no signs of backflipping. Looks like he's off to the dogs next year. As for the not-so-good stats, I did mention Adam Fanua Blake put us on the front foot all night. And what did the Warriors' backline do with that? Well, they made 10 combined errors. So, whilst our big boys were going forward, our backline were fucking up. Again, harsh but true. 10 combined errors across the backline. You guys are supposed to be scoring the points, not dropping the ball. It is what it is. The season's already done anyway, so to be honest, it sounds like I care. I kind of am dead inside now. <laughs> And I don't really care. As I said, I knew we were going to lose. But 10 combined errors. Come on. And the two centers didn't even have any. So that's just across fullback, wings, and halves. 10 combined errors. I think they basically had two each. And it sucks. It's like, yeah, what's the point in having Adam Fanua Blake going forward if our backline's just going to make heaps of errors? Anyway, 2023 is our year. And as for our reserve grade performer... Could be a lock next year, full-time in either that 6 or 7 jersey, Ronald Volkman. We've seen him at NRL level for the last couple of weeks. He was down playing for the Dolphins, Redcliffe Dolphins, not the new NRL franchise, although they are pretty much the same thing. 
hands off Dolphins, don't touch him, we've signed him for three years. Uh, but reserve grade performer Ronald Volkman, he was outstanding against the North Devils, who are the reigning Queensland Cup champions as well. Dolphins put an absolute score on the Devils, 54 to something, I can't even remember what the Devils scored. It was under 20 though, 54 points put on by the Dolphins, Ronald Volkman was a huge part of that in attack, and he even scored a try himself, so... Happy that he's signed to the Warriors for the next couple of years. And if Sean Johnson doesn't lift, I honestly wouldn't mind if they go with Volkman and Metcalf in the halves next year. It's a big ask. Like, Sean Johnson, he is experienced, and I want to back him in. He's been a Warrior for ages, went to the Sharks, not by his choice, and he's come back and been heavily criticised as well. But it's getting to the point, If I mean, if it's this next year again, I would like to see Volkman and Metcalf in the halves. Next up, this is going to be an absolute belter. Just like Penrith and the Sharks is a big game, we have got another banger. Eels will be hosting the Broncos. 6th versus 5th, top 4 aspirations as well. So for the loser, potentially, they're going to be outside the top 4. But for the winner, that gives them an awesome chance to press their case. Going to be hard to break into that top four given that Sharks in unreal form, Storm not so much but they are the Melbourne Storm and the North Queensland Cowboys, I mean the, the last game they didn't have their origin players. Going forward I still expect them to be one of the premier teams of the competition. So for the Broncos and the Eels, they need to win there if they want to make it into the top four. That is going to be an outstanding game on Thursday night. And for the Warriors, they'll be playing my second team, the Raiders, in Canberra. And look, we've gone pretty decent against the Raiders as of late. But as I said, Raiders are my second team. And usually how I like to do it is, you know, if the Warriors have been letting me down all year and the Raiders are still in with a sniff of finals, which they are, then I kind of want the Raiders to win. Like I chair for both. To be honest, Warriors will always be my team over the Raiders. But in this instance, I'm like, fuck it, hopefully one of my sides plays finals. Raiders still a chance, so yeah, I don't know. That'll be a weird one. I'll kind of be cheering for both and not rooting against either of them. Warriors and the Raiders in Canberra next. And speaking of what's up next, do not forget tomorrow, my Round 19 weekly NRL preview. You can catch that on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. Best way to see when it drops is to follow us on your podcast platform also follow us on Instagram at not just a sports report you'll be able to see whenever the preview drops and I'm also going to add in a few different few different pieces of content going forward including for this NRL power hour podcast you're already listening so you already get the take on this but I'm going to be posting the four awards so if you haven't listened before at the end of the episode I go through my X Factor player of the week my Rising Star nomination for the best young player in the comp, and Tough Stuff, the toughest player, or kind of the more for that unheralded work of the Fords who do the dirty shit. Dirty shit? I was going to say dirty stuff. Um, yeah, tough stuff, not like, not too dirty. This is a um, family-friendly podcast. But that is what is up next, and yeah, I'll be jumping through some written format on the Instagram page, going through X Factor Player of the Week, Rising Star, Tough Stuff, and of course, my cause for concern, who for the last number of weeks, it's been the Gold Coast Titans. 
they went all right on the weekend. So potentially we're going to have another cause for concern. I'll get into that at the end of the episode, though. But best way to keep up to date with Not Just a Sports Report, follow us over on Instagram at Not Just a Sports Report. Every time I get a new follower on the page, they're just the endorphins just rush to my brain, the dopamine. It is such a hit. It's like a drug to me. Thanks. Thanks for your support. Anyway, let's get on to the next game. Talking a bit of shit. Maybe that's because I'm laying down in bed. As I said, ultra casual mode. But what was not ultra casual were the Super Saturday fixtures. So let's get right amongst it. Alright, kicking off the Super Saturday action. We had the Roosters getting it done with a second half demolition of the very sorry Dragons. There's a lot of reports around Anthony Griffin's future too after that. It seems like, I mean, the media, they've got a definite thirst for blood. Now there are a few coaches that have already been sacked. Media turning their attention to who can we get next? Anthony Griffin definitely seems like that guy. Pressure definitely starting to build on Anthony Griffin, especially after that game. Roosters getting it done 54 to 26. In a game where a spot in the eight was potentially at stake, that is not good enough from the Dragons. To concede 54 points, that's that's not finals-like. That is not top eight material, so that is concerning for the Dragons. For the Roosters, had they lost there, that would have been season over, so definitely a big win for the Sydney side. We see that Luke Carey is due back next round. He's been named. I just had a look at the team lists, actually. Uh, given that it is Tuesday now. Luke Carey is due back. And in my opinion, Joey Manu is wasted in the centres. He's been such a difference. Absolutely killed it in the halves. He's been killing it whenever he's been put into the fullback position. And essentially, you just need Joey Hamanu with his hands on the ball as much as possible. So Luke Carey due back. Joey Manu wasted in the centres. So I'm really not sure what the go is long term there. And I'm wondering whether we will see adjustments because Joey Manu is proving that you need him to have as much involvement as possible. He is such a game breaker. He is one of the game's elite talents. And yeah, Luke Carey due back. So definitely interesting on that front. What was not so interesting and more so very unfortunate, two ACLs, at least suspected ACL injuries for two young roosters. Satili Tuponiua, who's been... One of their best over the year. Very, very unfortunate to see him go down, especially this close to the final series. And Billy Smith. That one particularly just sucked. This kid has had no luck with injury, constantly going down with long-term injuries. And every time he looks like he's about to get a break as the Roosters first choice center, he gets hurt. So that definitely sucked. Satili Tuponiua and Billy Smith now ruled out for the rest of the season. For the Roosters though, despite losing some key players, they kept their finals hopes alive. Had they lost, that was season over. It was all on the line and they came through, put a fucking score on the Dragons as well, who appear to be fading very badly. This is the St. George we've seen before, who they just seem to drop their bundle around this time of year. And with that being said, now it does seem like Anthony Griffin on borrowed time at the Dragons, yet another coach with intense scru scrutiny being placed around him. 
And I do believe that Shane Flanagan, Sharks Premiership winning coach, is the Dragons list manager. So that is definitely curious. I would not be surprised at all if we see Shane Flanagan move into the head coaching role. Anthony Griffin seems like on borrowed time. For the Roosters, we saw Matt Lodge make his club debut. That is definitely a big in for the Roosters. Quite literally a big in. It'd be interesting to see how he's used for the rest of the season going forward. And if you listen to my preview going into this round, my key battle was the fullback position. We knew that James Tedesco was absolutely going to brain it. Cody Ramsey on the other side. I was saying if the Dragons are going to win, they're going to need a little bit of brilliance from their fullback. Well, unfortunately for Cody, James Tedesco, as expected, he won the key, uh, the key battle and he won it pretty easily as well. So James Tedesco, he was a massive reason as to why the Roosters were able to get the job done. And as we now check the stats, two tries for James Tedesco, two tries for Joey Manu, both absolute superstars of our game. I mean, Joey Manu, I'll tell you this much, he was a bee's dick away from being named my X-Factor player of the round. Only one player, only just beat him out, but I'll get to that at the end of the episode. These are Joey Manu's, at least a couple of his stats from the game. Two tries, he ran for 194 meters, three line breaks, two try assists, and 15 tackle breaks. This is why you need Joey Manu in a key position. Yes, he's a strike center, but gee whiz, at this point, I think it's fair to say he's an even better 5'8 slash fullback. Definitely a good headache to have for the Roosters, though. Those are some fucking hearty stats. Will be interesting to see what his involvement is once he shifts back into the centers. Defense-wise, Sam Verrills topped the tackle count with 41 tackles. And Victor Radley was outstanding, scoring the first try and running for over 200 meters. We've seen over the week, Victor Radley has pledged his allegiance to England. Even more debate about how much New South Wales value their Blues jersey comparatively to some of their international jerseys. And Victor Radley, he's going to be playing for England at the World Cup end of year. That is owing to his father, who is from Sheffield, and Radley wants to represent his dad's side of the family. As far as the origin debate around, yeah, like, that essentially like people not wanting to play origin or opting to play for their nation and the blues but not australia i honestly couldn't give less of a shit like this whole fabric of origin maybe that applied in like the 80s when it was a primarily anglo-saxon game but now much like the world you've got to progress you can't just make this this isn't an australian kangaroos selection trial it's state of origin it should be separate and it's fucking ridiculous to think that someone who is of samoan heritage i know in this case it's radley with england but the main attacks had been on brian toto and honestly like it's not fucking insane to suggest that someone with samoan heritage can be a new south welshman so yeah, that whole debate, I think it's just a classic case of like, I don't know, I do think there's just a lot of media spin to that. Makes, you know, makes everyone talk about, oh my goodness, state of origin debate, instead of maybe talking about things that actually are pretty important. I call it a little bit of a whirlpool, a bit of a distraction, and yeah, it gets people talking about things that honestly, significantly less important in the grand scheme. 
Now, on to some bad stats. Well, not good stats. Bad stats, bit harsh. For the halves of the Dragons, 11 missed tackles. Definitely not what you want. Plenty of traffic going straight through the Dragons' halves. Jack Bird, 7 missed tackles. Moses Embi, 7 missed tackles. Not what you want from some of your more experienced heads in the side. And for Cody Ramsey, he was put under a lot of pressure. Six tackles made, five tackles missed. He is the last line in defense, so I don't put that solely down to Cody Ramsey. I think that's more the defensive line. But yeah, not a great game for Cody Ramsey. Neither for Zach Lomax, two errors for the young center. And overall, just an absolute bludger of a night for the Dragons. As for my reserve grade performer, Terrell May for the Sydney Roosters. He was dominant in the middle, New South Wales Cup-wise, for the North Sydney Bears on the weekend. And he has been all year. I think if I had to pick a best prop or middle forward in the New South Wales Cup competition this year, I'd go Terrell May. He's killed it like this every single week. That's why we've seen him make his NRL debut a bit earlier this year. And I'm sure we'll see him once again before the year is out. So Terrell May is my reserve grade performer for the Sydney Roosters. Up next, the Dragons host Manly in round 19. That is going to be unreal. We have some fucking dope fixtures. Eels, Broncos, you've got the Panthers, Sharks. Dragons hosting Manly is another one of those. You'd have to say, winner, all of a sudden they can start making plans for finals, whilst the losers are going to be right up against it to qualify, especially in St. George's case. As for the Roosters, they play the Knights in Newcastle. Sounds like a pretty winnable game, but let's not forget, the Roosters dropped the game to the Knights in round one this year. That was kind of the first disappointing result in a season of many for the Sydney Roosters. So we'll have to wait and see. I do think that game could be a lot closer than the odds suggest. And you've got to wonder, as far as the Roosters and the Dragons, Will either of these sides make the eight? For the Roosters, they are aware that it's business time. So they are in a much better position. They are in a business-orientated mind frame. Whilst the Dragons, have these guys taken annual leave? Like, these guys not in business mode. These guys, very much casual Friday. Everyone else wearing a suit. These guys wearing a tuxedo shirt. So far less than impressed from the Dragons in the last couple of weeks. Something does seem to be afoot there. Now there's talk around Anthony Griffin's future. Interesting given that they are still in the finals picture if they can get a few wins at the back end. But yeah, Dragons definitely not in business mode. For the Roosters, well, it seems like they're finally starting to get it together, trying to make a run at the perfect point of the season. That is it from that Super Saturday game. Now let's move on to the second one where the Manly Seagulls, gee whiz, they absolutely pulled down the Knights' pants. Or I guess if they're Knights, they just pulled down their armor. Gave them a fucking right smack on the bottom. Manly absolutely ruining the Knights at Four Pines Park, 42 to 12. Knights, we already knew their season was over. So I'll take more of a focus on the Seagulls and Ruben Garrick, isn't he doing a fantastic job at fullback? He stepped in for Tom Trebojevic, and that definitely 
that's that's a hard role to fill. Obviously, they don't expect him to be Tom Trebojevic, but the loss in itself definitely makes Manly a less threatening team. In the last few weeks, though, Ruben Garrick has been looking the goods. He's really starting to develop into the way that he wants to play as a fullback, and he's adding a hell of a lot to this Manly Seagulls side. So that is a huge wrap for Ruben Garrick. He has taken a role that is very hard, a void that is impossible to fill, and he's put his own flavor on it. He's put his own spice. And now that we're getting to the pointy end of the season, Ruben Garrick really starting to come into his own as a fullback. For the Seagulls, they are coached by Des Hasler. He is an under-the-radar specialist. And Manly, not on a heap of people's radar as far as premiership contention goes. That is exactly the way that Desi likes it. We also saw some headlines. Adam O'Brien punches fan. Turns out it was like a $15 desk fan. That, that's, yeah, that's pretty much where things are at now. Just like, they don't even try. They don't even try. I was like, Adam O'Brien punches a fan? I am, I'm there. I'm there. Turns out, yeah, a desk fan. Thanks for wasting my time. Like, wow, you could have just put waste, you know, fucking hits a desk fan. Anyway, for the Knights, Mad Monday is upon them. They can start planning what should be a very fun getaway. Although I don't even know if NRL clubs do Mad Monday. Again, that goes back to the media. Those guys weren't fucking camping outside, taking photos. And like, yeah, these guys, they don't need to be like drunken buffoons. But I just think the media and the way that they're out for blood, like don't camp outside their Mad Monday celebrations for fuck's sake. If something happens, then cool. By all means, report on that. If someone's being a dickhead on the drink or does something unsavory, okay. But if they're just getting absolutely flogged on the drink, it's Mad Monday. I don't know. I hate the kind of idea of camping out, just waiting for that story. It's a shit attitude. Definitely not the kind of blokes, or in some cases women, that I would be inviting to my barbecue. Speaking of barbecue invites, Anthony Milford has accepted the invite to come have a barbecue for the next two years at the Redcliffe Dolphins. He signed under Wayne Bennett, turned back a three-year offer from the Knights to go back home to Brisbane, or at least around Brisbane, and Milford has signed a two-year deal with the Dolphins. It seems like he's going to be the number six, most probably Sean O'Sullivan, the halfback for their inaugural season, and that is a big get for the Dolphins. And for the Knights, yeah, unfortunate. Would have been good for them to have Milford. Now, hey, I guess at least you've got Adam Clone and Jake Clifford, right? Now, Manly, let's get back to them. They are making their run. It's an exciting time. They've finally shaken that flat track bullies tag. And now they can really focus on gelling as a squad. They're starting to get some real cohesion with the combinations, given that there have been some changes throughout the year. Another point of conversation, Kieran Foran, is he potentially set to backflip on the Gold Coast Titans? Surely not. I think if he did, then Titans just stop trying to sign Seagulls halves. Clearly something's not working there. And what's the go with Josh Schuster? What's the go with him playing 5'8"? If Kieran Foran backflips, I don't know. That's a watch the space. Definitely something I'll comment more on if it happens. But until it happens, I'm not here to speculate. But Kieran Foran, 
there's a bit of word that maybe he's thinking about backflipping. I think the exact term was that he was considering backflipping. So I'll wait until he actually does, because otherwise it would not be the first time I've read a story where, yeah, purely speculative. Like, this player is considering. Cool, I'm considering going to Hungry Jack's. Doesn't mean that I'm going to get up and do it. It's kind of cold. Now, let's get on to the statistics. Statistics. Jason Saab with a double and three line breaks. Really good to see after he had a pretty off game the other week and hasn't been having the best season overall. Jason Saab back to his brilliant best, two tries and three line breaks. In terms of the defensive department, Jaden Braley got through 41 tackles. He did miss a couple, but ultimately Newcastle a much better side for having Jaden Braley in the number nine jersey. Ruben Garrick, who I mentioned before, two try assists as well as running for 233 metres, a proper knock from now their first choice fullback. So no longer a flashy try scoring winger who can kick goals, now an integral member of the squad in a key position. Daily Cherry Evans, speaking of key positions, three try assists, absolutely sensational form from the Queensland captain. Let's not forget, he was backing up from State of Origin, one of the most physical games we have seen in a hell of a long time. And he still manages to come out, get through all of his work, and set up three tries to boot in the absolute demolition of Newcastle. DCE, another one who was very close to being named my X-Factor player of the round, only just missed out by a whisker, same as Joey Manu, but I could not be more impressed. What a week for the Queensland captain. If you listened to my preview going into this one, my point of difference, how Moli Olikawatu, he really was a point of difference as well. Seven tackle breaks. He is such a damaging back rower. One of my favorite players to watch in the competition. Onto the less desirable stats. Adam Clune, nine missed tackles. Definitely not what you want. I know sometimes that's not all down to the halfback. It's kind of also on the guys either side of him. But nine missed tackles, that, yeah, that is not good. It's not good. I'll tell you that much for free. It is not good. Anthony Milford, Edric Lee, they had three errors each. Both former Raiders teammates. Both going to be linking up with the Dolphins next year. Both, hopefully, few less errors than in this game. Now, let's get on to what is up next. Manly face the Dragons. That is a hugely crucial two competition points. I'm going to be watching that game with a vested interest. Winner of that, definitely in business mode. And as I only just mentioned before, I think the Dragons are on annual leave. So maybe they've returned from their trip away. Maybe they haven't. We're going to have to wait and see in round 19. And for the Knights, they will be hosting the Roosters. Can Newcastle spoil the party? I genuinely think they are a chance. So that is going to be a very interesting game in itself. Albeit the Knights no longer anywhere near finals contention. I'll tell you who is near final contention though. And that is the Brisbane Broncos. Tell you who isn't? The Gold Coast Titans. So now let's get into the Saturday night game. Where the Broncos got home in a very tight tussle up against their Queensland counterparts in the Titans. 
the main thing going into this one that was a talking point, the future of Justin Holbrook. There were reports that he was as good as gone. At some stage, I thought, is he actually already gone? Have they got rid of him? We saw Jim Dimmick walk out of training, and things seemed to be an absolute mess. There was no doubt, I think in anyone's mind, if the Titans had put up a performance similar to what they have been all year, I think Justin Holbrook would have lost his job. So thankfully for Justin, in this 16-12 game, the Titans put up one hell of a fight. They definitely kept themselves in the contest. They showed that they're willing to play for their coach, so I thought that was a good sign. But Justin Holbrook, I have no doubt, his future's still absolutely up in the air. And yeah, this, the whole coach narrative, of always a coach getting sacked. I'm just not about it. It doesn't make sense. Like, okay, Gold Coast Titans, sack your coach. That worked with Neil Henry. That worked with Garth Brennan. I mean, Garth Brennan was the last coach to go. Now you've got a new one in and you want to sack him as well. Like, I don't know. It just makes no sense. Especially, you look at sides like the Titans, the Tigers, my side, the Warriors, and a side like the Bulldogs. It's... Yeah, it kind of seems like maybe it's the club and the actual overall bigger picture at the club than the coach itself, because we keep seeing them sack coaches. Doesn't seem to change anything. And pretty much all of those clubs are absolute basket cases, the Titans included. So, yeah, I don't know what Justin Holbrook getting sacked is going to do. What are they going to do? Bring in Paul Green, who got sacked from the Cowboys? Like, are we just going to keep recycling coaches? I don't know. The, the whole coach narrative is, I don't know, it's just mind-boggling. I don't know why that is always the go. I guess it's easier to get rid of the coach than get rid of the players. But I just, I don't know. Justin Holbrook, I rate highly as a coach. I think this is more the Gold Coast Titans as an outfit and the way that the players are actually performing. If you look at Justin Holbrook's track record, pretty decent, especially given a lot of people think St. Helens were a powerhouse when he took over. Yes, they're one of the big English clubs in the Super League, but St. Helens was struggling really bad. They were in an awful place when Justin Holbrook took over. They were a shell of the St. Helens that we knew and loved as one of the top English sides. And Justin Holbrook, he got them back to the top of the Super League and not just back to the top. They were head and shoulders above everyone else. They went on to win a premiership and then they've won another two. And that is still to this day. St. Helens are currently in the mix to try and win their fourth straight Super League title. Justin Holbrook, he was the one that got them up and moving. I know that Christian Wolf is the coach now, but Justin Holbrook, he set the wheels in motion. Geez, fucking notes going everywhere, sorry. He set the wheels in motion. Look how St. Helens are going now. So yeah, I, I have faith that he can get the Gold Coast Titans going but we will definitely have to watch this space. As for the Broncos, you want to talk about a coach getting their side going. Kevin Walters has the Brisbane Broncos on the cusp of top four qualification. That is unreal. An absolutely remarkable turnaround from the Broncos we've seen over the last couple of years. If they were even in eighth position, that would be a massive improvement. So to see them where they are now, it's been one of the great success stories of season 2022. Another note I wrote down, a couple of young players from the Broncos, 
that have been impressing me. Zach Hosking, young back rower in only his second game. I think he's going to keep his spot in the squad. I think we may see him coming off the bench. He has done incredibly well in the absence of Kurt Capewell. Another one I wanted to highlight, Tessie New. Since returning in the fullback position, he's playing career best footy. He is looking unreal. He's clearly worked on his passing game. His running game has always been a strength. And with Reese Walsh coming to the club next year, as well as having Selwyn Cobbo on the books, I know they may turn him into a centre, given that Herbie Farnworth, he may be the odd one out in that situation. But some clubs, I am sure there are going to be a couple of clubs knocking on the door of Tessie New. Dolphins, the first team that come to mind. I think he's proving that he can be a week-in, week-out first-grade fullback. Back to the score in this game, 16-12. We saw Adam Reynolds score the match-winning try. Kind of a good reflection of their season overall. Adam Reynolds' arrival has totally changed the game. And in close games like this, where at times in the last couple of years, they faded out, now they have a leader, they have a halfback, and they have someone who can get them over the line. That much evident with Adam Reynolds scoring the match-winning try. For the Broncos, that is back-to-back wins without their origin brigade. Really impressive that they're proving not only can they get it done with their origin guys, but now when they have to call upon some of their depth players, they're getting the job done. And that is a really good sign considering Broncos, some of the greatest Broncos sides in history, they kind of didn't navigate the origin period too well. Once it came to the baby Broncos, that was where they had kind of struggles and points where they dipped a little bit. So overall, highly impressed with the Brisbane Broncos. What I'm also impressed with, uh, this is non-rugby league related, but in about an hour, I'm going to go out for a delicious steak. I am pumped up. I am starving. So what I'm going to do now is just put the pedal to the metal a little bit. Not too quickly, but we'll get through these last few games as well as the end of episode awards. And then as soon as I get home from that juicy, delicious steak, I'm going to sit down and get straight into my round 19 weekly preview. So given that it's Tuesday, team lists are out. It's time to start looking toward round 19. So let's get through the rest of round 18. Brisbane Broncos winning 16 to 12 up against the Titans, but happy to finally see the Gold Coast show an inkling of fight. So good signs to build on. Looking at the stats, AJ Brimson ran for 250 meters, two line breaks as well. Aaron Booth got that number nine jersey, 42 tackles for Aaron Booth. Really good to see him finally get a chance in that nine jersey for the Gold Coast. Phil Sammy, he was electric in the centers, 11 tackle breaks. That was definitely an unheralded stat. And in a less impressive stat, Bo Furmore with four areas, but he's been one of the Titans best this year. So I am willing to forget a pretty poor game from Bo Furmore. Speaking of poor games, Katoni Staggs, Philip Sammy was getting the better of him all night. Staggs, 11 missed tackles and two errors as well. So, look, I give myself credit sometimes if I say, like, this guy's going to be the MVP and then they go and do it and things like that. So, I guess I got to give myself some anti-credit here. I said that Katoni Staggs, it felt like he was due for a big game and he didn't deliver. So, 
I'll cop that one. I was I was wrong there. And next up, the Broncos are going to be away up against the Eels. That is going to be one of the games of the round. Fifth up against sixth. Winner, they get to set their eyes on the top four. The losers, well, I think the top four are probably just beyond them, given that uh, it's hard to tell how the Storm are going to go for the rest of the year. But I think the Cowboys will stay steady. And the Sharks, they seem to be hitting their straps. For the Titans, they are going to be away up against the Bulldogs. A battle of two teams. I guess that's like the anti-game of the round, the one that I probably am least excited for. But for the Titans, it's going to be a chance for them to get themselves a crucial win. It has been so damn long since they have tasted victory. And for the Bulldogs... They've been rapid improvers, so should be an interesting game. But I tell you what, if I was out maybe at the grocery store and the game was starting in five minutes, I'm not running home. I'm not fast-tracking the grocery shop. I will take my time and get home when I'm ready. So that one, Titans and Bulldogs, with the greatest respect, a lot less excitement surrounding that. And speaking of unexciting entities... Let's now get on to the Tigers game that opened the Super Sunday. Three games on the Sunday. We had the Panthers, almost a Panthers B. I know they still had some elite players in their side, but the Panthers with, I guess, their second string side, essentially, they made it eight straight wins up against the Tigers, getting it done 18 to 16. So to the Tigers' credit, I was really happy with what I saw for parts of that game. And James Fisher-Harris, he ended up proving the difference. The front rower crashing over for the game-winning try. He is such a gun. James Fisher-Harris, he is elite. He is not part of that Panthers B, as I call it. He is very much Panthers A. And he showed that when they needed someone to step up, he got it done. He is always so tough through the middle. I don't believe anyone's had more nominations for my Tough Stuff Award this year than James Fisher-Harris himself. So... Now not just adding the tough stuff, also adding a bit of attacking brilliance. James Fisher-Harris gets it done. And we saw, a, we saw headlines from Brett Kamali that he felt it was disrespectful for the Panthers to not play their best side. That was taken out of context. Weird, a few different ones today, isn't it? The funny how the media, um, there's a few different things where it's like, well, actually, I believe Brett Kamali just, he used that as motivation for the Tigers, which is totally fine. He, he's not feeling disrespected. He's not actually like, you know, upset about it. He was just trying to get it in the players' heads. Like, they're disrespecting you. They don't think that you're worth playing the good players for. They think you can get, or they can get past you without them. So that's fair. Like, good on Noddy for trying to at least try something. But unfortunately, the West Tigers and respect just don't belong in the same sentence. We also saw Jackson Hastings move to lock. Surely he leaves. Honestly, now you put him in the middle. He made the most tackles of any West Tigers player. So you take out his attacking creativity and you stifle that by making him get through a shit ton of defensive work. Surely Jackson Hastings leaves. Honestly, I don't know. I'm just not feeling the lock forward positional switch. He's proven that he's a half. And if he wants to play lock then okay, I'm down for it. But if he didn't put his hand up for this, then yeah, it's just a classic Tigers kind of, the same club who started the year with five captains 
then sack their coach. Now they're back to one captain. Now they're putting their star half into the middle. No wonder Isaiah Papali'i wants to backflip or allegedly wants to backflip. At least they have their coaching ranks sorted. Tim Sheens taking over the club once again. And Benji Marshall, who has never coached at any level, and I'm a massive Benji Marshall fan, that, that's kind of the contingency plan. Tim Sheens comes back. Um, and the back end of his years at the Tigers, not great. And his first couple of years when he went and coached in the UK, not great either. I think maybe just no one wanted to coach the Tigers. They've gone Tim Sheens into Benji Marshall. We'll have to wait and see how that works out. But yeah, sorry to Tigers fans. It's been a bit of Tigers hate this episode. But can you blame me? I think even Tigers fans are feeling similar. Maybe not on the Tim Sheens, Benji Marshall thing. But on most things, like the Tigers fans, if anyone's been through it, it's the Tigers fans. For the Panthers, their depth was on display in this game. Once again, we see when they call upon these guys from underneath the first grade setup, they continuously get the job done. Can anyone stop Penrith come finals? I've seen a lot of comments on social media suggesting that no one's going to beat the Panthers. Then again, though... Comments on social media, definitely the weakest form of legitimacy. So I, I am actually really excited. I think, obviously, Penrith, much better than any other side in the competition. So yes, they are the clear favorites. That doesn't mean they're just going to have this easy path, though. I am very excited for finals. But at this stage, the back-to-back definitely looks on. As far as the stats, Mitch Kenny topped the tackle count with 54 tackles. Plenty of defensive grit there from Mitch Kenny. Dylan Edwards topped the meter count. 242 meters for Dylan Edwards. He's in career best form. Absolutely killing it. And yeah, I mean, the Panthers so much better off for having them in their side. And he captained them to a great win on the weekend. Looking at the tackle breaks... 16, eight apiece between the wingers, Taylor May and Charlie Staines. The Tigers just could not get their hands on the Penrith wingers. In West's case, their best performer was Adam Duahy. He scored eight points, a try and a couple of goals, as well as making nine tackle breaks. So, look, I'm happy for Adam Duahy in the halves. The whole Jackson Hastings to lock, that isn't a slight on Adam Duahy. It's more just like... A bed shit. I don't know. I feel like Luke Brooks should be the one to go. Don't you? It's, it hasn't worked for years. I still think he's a great player. I still think if you take Luke Brooks and put him in another team in this competition, he will look miles better. But it, I don't know. I don't know. The Doohy to 5'8 makes sense. Jackson Hastings to lock. I just, I don't know. And saying that though, in my preseason predictions... I picked Tigers to come last, and they're last at the moment, so hey, at least there's one positive there, for me at least. Joe Offahengawi, he missed eight tackles in the middle. Definitely not what you want from your big man. That was probably the least enviable stat I picked from the game. And as far as the reserve grade performer, Tyrone Peachy actually went really well in the 5'8 jersey on the weekend. The West Magpies got up over the Penrith Panthers almost C-team, considering how many of their players stepped up to NRL level. Shut up, phone. Um, 
But yeah, Tyrone Peachy had an absolute cracking game. Will be interesting to see whether he makes it into that Tigers side. Although definitely seems like he's out of favour. Next up, Panthers and the Sharks in what is my game of the round. And the Tigers will be travelling to Townsville to take on the Cowboys. Hopefully Tigers can prove me wrong, but I got a bit of an oh dear feeling about that road trip. But let's not dwell on negativity. In fact, let's get on to a very successful road trip where in Melbourne on Sunday, the Raiders kept their season alive with a 20-16 win over the Melbourne Storm at Amy Park. Three straight losses for the Storm now, the first time since 2015. The Raiders coming down to traditionally one of the hardest fixtures in the comp and getting the job done. That was the only tip in round 18 that I got wrong. And with the Raiders being my second team, I was more than happy to be wrong on that occasion. The biggest note though, and definitely the most unfortunate, Ryan Pappenhausen, his season is over. I believe it's a broken patella or something like that, like broken kneecap. Definitely looked painful and the scans were brutal. Like this is a dead set bad injury so that sucks like i know for the melbourne storm like in the picture of their season that is massive but i'm more just thinking as a footy fan as a fan of ryan pappenhausen that sucked that definitely sucked to see i I don't know where they go from here now like do they go nick meany at fullback tyron wishart they've taken an absolute beating in their backline stocks so now melbourne storm they are going to have to readjust they did sign young Tonomopia back to the club, so maybe we see him get called to action. I would not be surprised if that is the case, but Ryan Pappenhausen going down, that just sucks. You can tell by my voice. I love watching him play. He's such an electric player, such a gun, and just hasn't been able to string together a lot of time on the field the last couple of years. That did suck. I wrote in my notes, damn. Damn indeed. Now for this one, we saw Nick Meany score the first try off a Kenny Bromwich pass. That was really quality as well. But then Seb Chris, he picked up an intercept. This was pre-Ryan Pappenhausen hurting himself. Tabby threw an intercept and we saw Seb Chris. He ran the length of the field and the man's got wheels. I've got to say, Seb Chris definitely got a bit more toe on him than I had thought he had going into this season. But now I've seen what he can offer on foot. He's a bloody fast and very powerful bloke, is Sebastian Chris. After that was when we saw the Ryan Pappenhausen injury. So unfortunate, so, so unfortunate. Shortly after that, Raiders took a penalty to go up 8-6. And with Pappenhausen down, we saw the storm. They moved Nick Meany to fullback and Tyron Wishart to the wing, which I know is a utility, I found that a bit curious. Tyron wish I mean, in the in the context of the game, who else do you really put there? But, yeah, I thought it was interesting him being on the wing. He's definitely, like, he plays in the halves. He plays dummy half. He's played fullback. For the Sunshine Coast Falcons recently, he even played prop. And now here he is on the wing. We have a genuine utility player in Tyron Wishart, folks. After that penalty, it was 8-6. James Schiller for the Raiders goes over, scores a try, and puts them up 14 points to 6. 
So at this stage, Canberra, they're looking good, but it would not be the first time we've seen them to get a handy lead and then totally shit the bed. So even at this stage, I wasn't totally confident. Then we saw Jerome Hughes. He had a try disallowed. It was due to the grounding, so he didn't ground it properly. And then after that, we saw Jordan Rapiner also have a try disallowed. And after that, Jerome Hughes, he actually got an allowed try. So there we go, two disallowed tries. And then Jerome Hughes, he comes through, scores. It is then 14 to 10 to the Raiders. And then we see Jordan Rapiner with a high shot on Marion Seve. He gets sinbinned and put on report. So Jordan Rapiner, he's set to be out of action in round 19. I believe he's going to be suspended coming off the back of that sin bin. On the back of the sin binning in the period where the Raiders were a man down, we see Harry Grant. He scoots out of acting half, scores a try, and all of a sudden now, the Melbourne Storm have stolen the lead. It definitely seemed like a classic Raiders fade out, the faders, if you will, but the Canberra side were not done yet. With the Melbourne Storm leading 16-14, it came down to some individual brilliance from a rookie, a young fella in only his sixth game of first grade, James Schiller. Step up, James Schiller. We see Matt Tomoko give the pass out to Schiller. Schiller has a little bit of time to think about what his move is, but he has very limited options. He decides to put it on the toe, for himself, and he gets back into the field of play, regathers, and scores the game winner in only his sixth game of first grade. I was blown away by that. Like, James Schiller, when we signed him this year, when the Raiders signed him, I had heard, like, this kid from the Dragon system, he's a good one, he's a special talent, but I, I'm, I was under the impression, you know, that we weren't going to fast-track him, that we were just going to develop him slowly. He has come straight into the Raiders setup this year in his first year in the top 30 squad and he's pulled off a game winner. So look, it seems like he's been injured and he has hurt himself, but James Schiller scoring the game winning try. Kudos to him as well, what a try. Then eventually we see the siren go, but there's a penalty on the siren. Maybe James Schiller's try wasn't enough. Luckily for the Raiders though, they still had a captain's challenge up their sleeve and they used it to success. Like the game ended. They didn't have the penalty awarded against them and the Canberra Raiders captured their best win this season. Now they are two points behind the eighth placed Manly. So definitely had they lost to the Storm there, that was season over. Now it is season Onza and the Canberra Raiders, best win of the season so far. Next up, the Raiders are going to be hosting the Warriors. As a Warriors fan, like, yeah, not super confident about our chances. As a Raiders fan, confident about our chances. Then we have the Storm, who are going to be away up against the Rabbitohs. Another absolute belter of a game in a fixture list that seems to be full of them. Now, though, let's get on to our last game of round 18, where the Rabbitohs downed a very valiant Bulldogs outfit. Rabbitohs getting it done 36 to 28, with the Bunnies storming home with a wet sail, surviving a dog scare right at the end there. Bulldogs honestly, at a stage there, looked like they were gonna capture the win, 
And then all of a sudden, the bunnies just exploded. Luttrell was a total game changer in this one as well. He's the Rabbitohs' most valuable player. And now we see that South's premiership tilt well and truly underway. For the dogs, they are much improved under Mick Potter. And a quick shout out to Declan Casey. I've been very impressed with him in only his second game of first grade. Very happy to see Declan Casey get back on the field as well, given how unfortunate his debut was. Checking the key stats on this one, Alex Johnston doing Alex Johnston things, another hat-trick in the bag for AJ. Jeremy Marshall King for the Bulldogs, he was their defensive, I want to say best, he made 43 tackles, but he also missed seven, so clearly a target for the Rabbitohs pack. In terms of meters, Tavita Tartola was outstanding. A try for Tartola, 234 meters as well as 33 tackles. That was a very solid haul from Tartola. And Latrell Mitchell, you want to talk about a solid haul? This was more than a solid haul, I'll tell you what. Latrell Mitchell, three try assists, a try himself, and overall he had involvement in 24 points scored. Now that wasn't directly him, he was kicking goals, he did score one, but he had a hand in 24 of the Rabbitohs' 36 points. That shows you undoubtedly that Trell is their MVP, most valuable player, and he absolutely killed it, as he has been ever since he came back. He's in career best shape, looking really, really good, and I'll, I'll get to more on the Trell in a moment. As for the not-so-great stats, Corey Waddell, four errors, very unfortunate. That was the probably the highlight that I looked at where I thought, yeah, that, that definitely didn't help the dogs. And reserve great performer. If you listened to my Power Podcast a few weeks ago, I dropped a little hint that it seemed like the Bulldogs were chasing a rugby union star. I wasn't sure was it going to be someone of a high profile. I thought maybe like a Tom Wright or something like that. But we've seen that they've signed Jarrell Skelton, the Bulldogs. So he was a rugby sevens player, spent time at the Melbourne Rebels this past season, and now he's come over to the Bulldogs, played in the centres on the weekend for their reserve grade side, scored a couple of tries, and he was outstanding. Like, I think Jarrell Skelton, this is an NRL player right here. Next up, Rabbitohs host the Storm, Dogs host the Titans. Do not forget to tune in to my weekly preview. That'll be dropping tomorrow. We'll record it a bit a bit later tonight after that juicy, tender, delicious steak. Sorry to my vegetarian friends out there. Um, not sorry for what I'm about to do tonight, though. And that is so I can devour, devour that steak. I'm sorry. I've, I, as you can tell, I've got it in my mind. So with that being said, let's finish this episode up with our end of episode awards, as we do each week. Starting with the X-Factor player of round 18, you guessed it, Latrell Mitchell. Best shape of his career. Bunnies look, I don't even know the word, immeasurably better than they did without him. They are a whole new side. They're peaking on confidence. They're starting to work themselves into some decent form after a year riddled by inconsistency. And the man at the front of that is my X-Factor player of round 18, Latrell Mitchell. Ambitions for his third premiership in his young career, his first with Souths, and it seems like Latrell is all in on the bunnies this year. So 
Really interested to see how they go going forward. And he's definitely in Kangaroos World Cup form. I think we will see Trell very much in that squad. And not just in the squad, but in the best 17 as well come World Cup time. With that being said, Latrell Mitchell, three try assists, a try, and just a hell of a lot of involvement. He had 12 tackle breaks as well. He, he was too good. I know it's against the Bulldogs, but nonetheless, Latrell Mitchell, he is starting to work himself into some very scary form. Trell is my X-Factor player of the round. As for my Tough Stuff award, this goes to a net round and nunnies. A fucking hell. To a Bunnies player as well. Tavita Tatola. I've literally just spoke about him, so there's not too much to say, but I was hugely impressed with his effort. There was no Cam Murray, and I felt like Tavita really lifted in the absence of their forward leader. He was going forward all night, he would top the Rabbitohs tackle count, and he even scored a try. So, tough stuff this week goes to Tavita Tatola. His go forward set the platform for someone like Latrell to do what he did. If Tavita Tatola isn't going forward, makes it a lot harder for the Bunnies to get that win. So, tough stuff award for round 18, Tavita Tartola. My rising star nomination. This one pretty easy, James Schiller. He stood up in one of the competition's toughest tests, the Melbourne Storm in Melbourne, scored two tries, scored the game-winning try, and I just thought all throughout the game, James Schiller started to show me exactly why there were such huge raps on him. So James Schiller, he is my round 18 nomination. We now have 18 players on the list. You know what? Fuck it, I'll pull it up. I know I said I was going to make this short and sharp. If you haven't listened to the podcast before, I'll tell you all 18 Rising Star nominations in no specific order because at the moment I haven't gotten written down in specific order, but these are the Rising Star nominations so far for 2022 with some big omissions as well. Interestingly, no Joseph Suwali, no Will Penasini, who have been very solid this year, but it seems like every round there's at least one young player who seems to get the nomination over them. So Joseph Suwali, probably the biggest omission, but as it stands, we've got James Schiller, Zach Hosking, Ben Trebojevic, Dejan Arce, Jaden Campbell, Dominic Young, Grant Anderson, Matt Fagai, Lachlan Ilias, Xavier Savage, Aaron Shop, Ezra Mam, Tolu Kola, Talatau Amon, and as it stands, if you, if you know the concept of my rising star for not just a sports report, at the end of the year for the NJSR awards, I'll be putting up some polls for team of the year, player of the year, whatnot, and I'll also be posting the top four rising star nominations my four who out of everyone nominated i feel have separated themselves from the pack and at this stage it seems unlikely that someone's going to unsurp one of these four from their top four spot but we will have to wait and see my top four for 2022 as it stands selwyn cobbo isaac tago tail and may and the cowboys superstar jeremiah nanai so do not forget to keep up with the Rising Star nominations. And at the end of the year, you'll be able to vote for your winner over on our Instagram at Not Just a Sports Report. James Schiller, Round 18's Rising Star. But what about Round 18's Cause for Concern? Hey, it's not the Titans, thankfully. 
It's not the Warriors either, although I am still definitely concerned about them. This week's cause for concern, the Dragons. It seems like they've got salary cap issues no one's really talking about. They've already made an announcement that they're going to move on a stack of players next year. Billy Burns, Josh McGuire, Tao Tao Moga, Jackson Ford, Paosa Falmasili. I think I just got that one. They've all been told they're free to negotiate with rival clubs. That is very interesting. Dragons with some cap issues. They are fading out badly in the late season. After looking really good only like two weeks ago, being on a great run, now they're fading out. Pressure is mounting on Anthony Griffin. And that in itself, with no recruits for 2023 and massive salary cap squeezes, that in itself is a cause for concern. So... Hopefully for Dragons fans, the boys can turn it around because they are still in with a sniff of finals and the game against Manly this weekend is going to be a hell of a test for them. But no doubt, round 18's for cause for concern. Fucking cause for concern, my English, honestly. Dragons, round 18's cause for concern. Ford slash my English as well. That's general season cause for concern. I wish that was a round 18 thing. Unfortunately, it is not. I'll tell you what is a round 18 thing, though, and that is the ladder coming off round 18. Let's have a look exactly where everything stands as I wrap up this podcast. In first place, the Penrith Panthers. They are well clear. Four wins clear at the top of the table. We definitely have our minor premiers. In second spot, the Cowboys. Equal points with the Sharks. Really interesting there. Could the Sharks, I mean, they're going to have to play Panthers this weekend, but what if the Sharks beat the Panthers? Sharks could come for that second position. That is really interesting. Cowboys and Sharks both both on 26 points. Two points behind all of them. The Melbourne Storm, all of a sudden, their top four spot in jeopardy. Storm fourth on 24 points. Broncos fifth, 24 points. Eels sixth. 24 points. I tell you what, Broncos up against the Eels this weekend. What a game. That is going to have a major bearing on the top four. As is, Rabbitohs up against the Storm. Rabbitohs sitting in seventh on 22 points. Just one win behind the Storm. Round 19, shaping up to be the biggest round of the year to date. I'm, I'm so pumped to jump into the weekly preview. Plenty to discuss on that front. In 8th spot on 20 points, the Seagulls. And 9th, 10th, 11th, just behind the Seagulls. Waiting for them to slip up, we have the Roosters in 9th, Raiders in 10th, and the Dragons in 11th. So definitely up to those sides, just sitting outside the 8 to get a win this weekend, especially for the Dragons. If they lose to Manly, you'd have to suggest that's probably their finals hopes dashed. And then we move on to, yeah, I guess the bottom of the ladder, the one, the part that doesn't really interest me. Maybe that's because my side, the Warriors, sit in 12th on 12 points. Damn, hey, at least we're the best of the shit sides, apparently. Knights in 13th, they drop down after getting absolutely ruined. Bulldogs in 14th, but we're seeing signs. Gold Coast 15th and the West Tigers. No respect. No respect for the competition. They sit in 16th. Dead last. Exactly where I had them in the preseason. So 
not good. I was hoping Tigers could prove me wrong. They haven't. And then I was like, hey, I think they're going to bottom out next year. I'm really excited. They've got Isaiah Papali'i. And then it's like, oh, do they? Have they bottomed out? Have they bottomed out? Hopefully. They do have RP Coruscant coming as well. Sorry for fucking ragging on the Tigers all episode, but blame them. If you're a Tigers fan, blame them, honestly. If they weren't such a basket case for like the last 10, 15 years, I wouldn't be doing this. And I say this kind of shit about my side, the Warriors, as well. We're a basket case. We're all in this together. Shit teams unite. But with that being said, that is a wrap-up. Sorry about the casualness of this one. I was, I don't know, just in a strange space today. Now I'm good. I'm ready to go for the weekly preview. Get my setup back and just write the notes. A little bit smoother on the delivery. And hopefully a better overall podcast. So I do apologize this one. A little bit messy in some regards. But I tell you what will not be messy. Fucking that was messy in itself, wasn't it? Round 19, retro round, and looking at the games that we have, this is the round of the season. The games that are actually being played have so much significance on the ladder, sides playing teams that are very, very relevant to their finals hopes, and a lot of four-point contests going on this weekend as far as the ladder goes, so I cannot wait to jump into that. Please make sure to follow us on Instagram. Wow, please, desperate. At Not Just a Sports Report and follow us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. You'll be able to see as soon as my retro round preview comes out. That'll be tomorrow. And until then, take care of yourselves and have a fantastic.